Hey friends, welcome to a bonus follow-up episode of the Nugget Climbing Podcast. I don't normally record an intro for follow-ups, but I wanted to introduce this one. What you are about to listen to is a 25-minute teaser from a new Patreon follow-up episode I just released with Ron Kauk. I got a bunch of great listener questions for Ron that we didn't get to in our first conversation, so that is what we dove into today. We tackled more than a dozen awesome questions from you guys, and of course, Ron had either a great story to share or a thoughtful and insightful answer for every one of them. So I think you will love this episode, especially if you loved my first episode with Ron. We covered a lot of new ground in this follow-up. This free teaser is a clip that I pulled out of the middle of the conversation. Again, it's about 25 minutes, and I hope it leaves you wanting more because I would love for you to sign up for Patreon. If you become a patron, you will immediately get access to 20 bonus episodes with more coming all the time. And it's an awesome way to support the show. It is what keeps the podcast going. The full version of this episode is about an hour and 45 minutes. So it's basically another full length episode with Ron and the whole thing is really good. So if you dig the teaser, go ahead and sign up for Patreon and you can cancel at any time. Thanks for tuning in today and I hope you enjoy this free teaser of my follow-up episode with Ron Kauk. Okay, there's a, there's a lot of questions. I don't know if we'll get to all of them. We'll just see how far we go. But um, yeah, these are from patrons that support the show and they're really fun. They're all over the, they're all over the place. Uh, I cut out some of them for people listening because I felt like some of them we covered really well in our first conversation. Um, you know, stuff specifically about kind of the, the culture of Camp 4 and the Stone Masters and things like that. So I think we talked about some of that, but... This first question is from Mike Kersner, uh, who's a friend of mine. He's been on the show and he's climbed a lot in Yosemite. He asks, did you ever fall off the top of Midnight Lightning with no crash pads? Did I ever fall off? You know, um, the top meaning probably going over the mantle. Yeah, probably. The only thing that comes to mind is I was with Patrick Edelanger. We had, we had been out in Waco Tanks. And we were traveling on, he was making a little film or something. And then we came there to Yosemite, to uh, Camp 4, and I was pushing on the that foothold above the lip on the mantle, and it was really cold out. And and sometimes the rubber on your boots can get, like, lose its friction because mm. of the, that kind of coldness. Like glassy. And my foot just, yeah, glassy, like, and my foot slipped off and I went straight to the ground. <laughs> and, you know, it's it's awkward for me to, to say, did we have pads then? And I kind of... We probably did. So I never really ba- like totally bailed off that out of control at the lip, at, you know, the lip, for to the ground. <laughs> okay. But if you want to bring that into the context of what, what happened without boulder pads, absolutely on Thriller, which is pretty much just as high, Oof. I was slapping for the top and jumped straight back to the ground with no pad. <laughs> and we hadn't even cleaned the landing. <laughs> there was like little boulders and rocks around there in the beginning. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so and back on that problem, we were just trying to get to that square cut hold 
and that was kind of the idea that there was nothing above that. Mm. Um, if you ever, if you know what that how that route goes, Habakkuk had been trying to get to that square cut hole. So in February '84, was dry in the winter, and I got that hold, and I'm like, all right, you know, I got it. Like I'm just gonna jump off. But then I said, well, wait a minute, I'll, I'm pulled up, and I started scratching around. I broke off a piece of moss and there was that last little thin edge up there. <laughs> so I was so excited about that. That's when I just started going for that next move. But again, there was no pads. So that that doesn't exactly answer the question, but it's significant to say we were jumping pretty far to the ground. Yeah. Well, that that's... And, uh, that's how this will go. No, no need to exactly answer the question if you've got a good story. I think that's that's fantastic. Yeah. But his follow up was, uh, "How do your knees and ankles feel nowadays?" I mean, that sounds brutal. You know, well, the just saying that they got sore, but <laughs> but they feel good. Like if 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 I was to do that now, I don't know what would happen. Yeah. I'd probably have to get pulled off in a stretcher. Because, but no, you know, knock on wood. And I think it's a good question because he might be wondering how many high balls he wants to keep doing. Um, my knees feel good. Everything feels good. My tendons are good. And I think because I lent, I, I had a pretty good self-awareness. Like if I felt something going a little bit bad, I would just take it easy. Because mm. I never had any problem taking it easy here in Yosemite, for example, to go hiking or swimming or easy climbs or something like that. Like I liked training and doing all that stuff, but I was never... I can't say I was ever a real fanatic mm. that I would want to keep my mind would push my body harder than my body wanted to go. I think I listened to my body and let my mind follow that, you know? So I, I feel like I was fortunate to go that way around with my thinking, you know, for, and, yeah. uh, and that's a knock on wood thing because you never know I me. Mean, we can twist around. I mean, I've, at one other time, I did have pads under Thriller, and I was doing it for some film thing and did it a couple of times, and then I just went to a certain point and jumped back down, and someone had moved the pad slightly to kind of think they were helping me. But when I went down, and we many people have done this, you hit the side of the pad with your mm -hmm. ankle, mm -hmm. I mean, with your foot, and it just rolls your ankle. And that was probably my one of my worst little injuries for a sec. I thought it broke. <clears throat> but... Um, it's, I like that question because I'm sitting here feeling pretty good and I'm thankful for that, you know, like, and yeah, huh. That's cool. I think for, for a lot of people listening to a podcast like this one, and I'm including myself here, uh, I tend to be so performance oriented. I think the harder part for me is having that humility to just listen to those little things and, and pump the brakes on stuff. I get all neurotic. Like I've got to stick to the plan. I've got, you know, I set out to do this training plan and I want to do this hard route and I'm not strong enough yet. And I'm just going to push through. And then that, you know, pushing through leads to making a small thing, a big thing. And then you're set back for a long time. So that's, you know, and that's also interesting <clears throat> to think about the foundation that we got to build on easy climbs for so long. Hmm. And, and we, I don't, you know, we were doing midnight lightning and all that kind of stuff way back when, but we weren't in this intense high performance realm like you guys are now. Mm. I mean, I kind of went into that later on, maybe in 90s or something, so I, I can relate to where it was headed. But see, like now you guys are, are really so driven to climb the hardest routes, but even athletes take a lot of time off, I think. They don't they don't go year round. Yeah. So, so that's an interesting thought about, I don't know what people do to how to organize themselves not to wear their shoulders and joints out and so forth yeah huh mm -hmm. 
Yeah, food for thought for sure. Usually, our off season for most most year round climbers, our off season is training even harder in the gym. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> yeah. Huh. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to ask a question from Joe. He writes, "There's a book by Mark Kroos, and I'm probably butchering uh, that last name. It's spelled K R O E S E." called 50 Favorite Climbs in North America, The Ultimate North American Tick List. And it's not to be confused with the 50 classic climbs. And he writes, if you haven't seen the book, and he's talking to me here, each of the 50 climbs is a favorite from a different rock or ice climber and an accompanying story. And he writes, Ron's is number 23, the Middle Rock Traverse on Middle Cathedral in Yosemite. I would love to hear him talk about the process of finding and climbing it and why he chose it for that book. Oh, I love that question. You know, Middle Cathedral is such a special rock, <clears throat> you know, amongst all the granite in Yosemite because of its features on, you know, for face climbing. And it's got a soulful kind of connection to the roots that were going up in the 70s, up on that apron, where there's roots like Black Primo, Freewheeling, uh, Quicksilver. And, uh, and there was a friend of mine, Kevin Worrell. And somehow we were... You know, you're, you're always around there maybe doing central pillar frenzy or this or that. And when we're standing around the basin, we started to realize you could traverse just off the ground and practice on it. And then we had spotted a, a, a potential line that we ended up calling Space Babble to the left of Bert Chef Williams. And in, in order to kind of train for that, we started traversing back and forth. And then we did that route, which was too bad I didn't put more bolts in. <laughs> but I would, you know, <laughs> we were, you know, that's so funny thing about you got your little bolt kit and your quarter inch, you know, drilling, and you just want to keep running it out, right? <laughs> you got a good, you got a good stance drill bolt. You're like, well, I'll go further. And then you think, <laughs> then that poor next guy has to come along and have no choice, right? So my bad, sorry about that. And that, that route would be done hundreds of times a year, but I don't even know how many times it got done. But to get back to the traverse, then it became a part of my own personal ritual, so nice to be up there and and it's you know it's a gentle angle i mean it's not vertical by any means and it's not that slabby exactly but you really are on your feet and you can go back 200 feet you know back and forth and and uh and just look around while you're climbing the patterns and colors of the rock are really uh, aesthetic you can turn over your shoulder and look at el cap and I remember one time I'm just traversing along there and I looked up the hill and there was three bucks just laying there, you know, along the base, looking at you. They're all calm. And and I remember going to Europe too for six months or something and, and being in competitions and all this. And I might've written about that in that book or um, to just go back to Middle Cathedral and traverse along the base is one of the most soulful, awesome connecting things for me personally. And then what was funny about being in that book is that, you know, the guy couldn't figure out like, why would you want to have this as your favorite climb? But it's it's because, and I'm just going back and forth, like I'm not really getting anywhere <laughs> in a way of saying. <laughs> but I convinced him and he kind of says that, you know, because, um, yeah. And, and uh, I think it was just also to draw attention to what climbing can mean in, in a personal way that doesn't have to do with anything competitive. Or, or even proven or any rating. Like, there's no rating on that. How do you rate that, really? <laughs> and uh, so I, I'm glad that he picked up on, like, what's up with that <laughs> climb? And, and how yeah. did you convince that guy to put it in his book that, you know, had almost no relevance? But that's my story, right? 
it's like there's deeper connections and, and we all have them, but sometimes we, we don't bring them out. And I think that was what I was trying to contribute to that, that book. And, uh, you, you know, that's one that's hard to express in words, how much I appreciate because it's not that any particular move on that. There's a little cruxy section on that traverse that's challenging, but the rest of it is, has this certain flow to it, but you have to pay attention and it gets a little bit high at points and comes down and it's just a whole array of moves. So, um, yeah, what a great feeling to even talk about that and picture the breeze going through the trees, making that little sound, you know, it's all, that's 100% nurturing. Um, we call it medicine, you know, like that's, that's like enriching your whole being for me to have the freedom to just be bouldering along the base of that big, big old rock. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, that's about it for that's that. Great. I mean, <laughs> yeah, it is truly. Uh, this is a question from Ken and it might, it, it goes right along with this. He asks, what is your favorite route in Yosemite? One that you would do again and again, just for the pure joy of doing it. Well, now I got to tell on myself a little bit when, you know, we have, sometimes we get to mini track a little short season, you know, in the winter and probably Nabisco wall, you know, I, I've probably done that route 500 times, I swear, <laughs> in the last 10 years, because, you know, it's such a nice run and, uh, and it holds such a uh, memorable thing for me because in 74, after we spent my first summer here, I went and did the first, if you can imagine this, the first continuous ascent, meaning I led, um, I think, yeah, I was with Charlie Porter and we did wafer and I unsighted butterballs, you know, placing hexes and, and then butterfingers. And so, you know, I, I do that one a lot, <laughs> but, but to say favorite, it, I don't know if I could actually do that mm. because I, I joke about your family. If you had a family of brothers, you, you wouldn't want to really say one's your favorite kind of, <laughs> but I guess you could, but it would make you feel bad about the others, you know, like, like new dimensions or something. How am I going to compare that to, you know, uh, Nabisco wall, but, but Nabisco wall is such an awesome location and you can get up there at the end of Butterballs and turn and face the valley. Like it's gently leaning back from vertical. So you can turn and face the canyon, look across at Elephant Rock, look down at the river. So that for me has been one of my favorites for, from the last 10 years or so to just go up and do. And again, it's not that strenuous, you know, if you've, you've done it so many times, but you can reflect on that. And I'll think about it sometimes. I go, man, I was up here with hexes as a 16-year-old. <laughs> and then I'll think about backers soloing it or Crawford. I'm like, oh, my God. It just kind of, it usually turns my stomach just slightly when I'm doing Butterfingers or something, thinking about without a rope. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so that has a rich history and, and a beautiful location. So I guess that would have to be the answer on that one. That's great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Okay, this is another Midnight Lightning question. Andrew writes, how important is the chalk lightning bolt on the boulder to its history? And what are your thoughts on the times that it's been removed over the years? Yeah, you know, that's a fun thing. And, and it, it's so funny that the lightning bolt came in, it's kind of from Southern California for some reason. And, you know, I think about Jerry Lopez and the surfing. He had, they had lightning bolts too. Hmm. He had that lightning bolt on his surfboard. So I don't know what it was with this lightning bolt. 
and then the stone master thing and then and then when did we put it on there like i can't even remember maybe it was with backer and a little group of us that drew it on there so and it's the one probably graffiti that was never bothered even by park service it's not like you're supposed to go around drawing on rocks right <laughs> unless it's a thousand years ago with a, a significant story but um so so it's it's very important in some reason to identify and it's it's almost becoming its own petroglyph you know of, of an era and um then you know it was kind of bizarre to think about our our brother lucas decides to brush it off and, and in a way there's kind of humor to it on one aspect if you know him and then the other aspect is kind of ridiculous like what we'll do to maybe stir up a little bit of controversy and all that kind of stuff mm. so i i kind of my initial reaction was you know that's kind of ridiculous a little bit disrespectful and and then but then it kind of challenges you to the impermanence of things or to think that that boulder just rolled down off the mountain <laughs> and you know we have had rock falls in other areas that changed things and so it had a little bit of a thought process to like huh are we attached to that what does it mean and then you know i never really honestly was that caught up with the idea of stone masters i thought it sounded kind of funny and it was sort of fun but then they all took it serious down the road and started calling all of us stone masters <laughs> and, and and then then i thought well this is really going down if they're starting to call themselves stone monkeys you know so <laughs> it, it's all just playful i think just playful stuff to not take too serious so it has kind of the paradox of it. it's serious and not you know mm. and, and and there it is you know so but in the honoring of it, it's it's been pretty cool, and I've heard that guys after they do lightning, they take a chalk and run it around the lightning bolt themselves. Maybe that's not true, but could be. <laughs> so it has significance, but again, it would challenge ourselves to what that really means and how we really represent it. So, uh, yeah, it's <clears throat> a great answer. Okay, I have a question for you about the route piece. And I hesitated about asking it, but I got asked it by multiple people. And it also ties into a story that um, that somebody's told on the podcast. My friend Yasna was on the show and she sent the route and um, she hadn't rehearsed the top before. So she was on Red Point and she got up to the anchor and just was staring at this like little section of glacial polish on the granite and <laughs> having to figure out how to navigate that to clip the chains. And I got two questions about uh, the Masters of Stone footage where you God. were climbing it and you grabbed the anchor and like gave the little peace sign to the camera. Yeah. Um, what am I, what's the question here? One person asked, did you red point it on a separate occasion? Can you give a little story about the filming of that? Yeah, that's like the worst filming in the world. <laughs> It's so bad. You know, there was a moment in the bottom where you're going through the bottom crux. It looked pretty cool. Like Perlman was out there on his rope, not floundering around. And it was solid. And, and then up higher, he's swinging around on his rope and everything. <laughs> and, 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 you know, so yeah, I don't know what to think about that. Yeah, you go back and you film these things for these guys and they got to move up and you, you climb a section. We all know how that goes, right? And and then as far as grabbing anchors, I don't know exactly what 
that means. I mean, I wasn't like diving for the anchor, or, <laughs> you know, missing, you know, like, I don't know. That that was just playing along with the whole thing in a way. Yeah. And uh, that's kind of the sad, I don't know if sad is the right word, but, you know, how we go do that stuff later. And, and you know, it's still kind of authentic, but it's obvious, like, when you see the footage on that, that it's just kind of wacky, you know, a little bit. <laughs> Yeah, and well, we're not taking enough time, or you're trying to work for the guy that's going to come and film, and it might be hot, or you know who knows what the case is. You're just basically you're trying to do a job, mm. and you know we, and that's in a way that's a sad. I'll, I'll use that word again because it puts us in a in an awkward position as rock climbers to have to produce something that might have to do with sponsors, maybe, and the sponsors might not even have been asked you to do that, but you feel a sense of obligation. And uh, and it's part of your work, rather than having someone there. And, and nowadays, I think guys pull it off because we can film with our phones or something. But you know, to have to schedule some kind of day to go do something, and not really have it documented in in more of an authentic way. And that's what I I think about that climb. I, that climb's so beautiful and so aesthetic that it deserved to be filmed well. And maybe it has been since then with other people. But I felt like. I was kind of disappointed in that, mm. to tell the truth. And uh, but any any other stories that that come to mind? I mean, that was you know we're up there every summer, and Backer had had his rope hanging on it for six years, trying to start from the bottom. And his the name he wanted to call it was Die Hard or something. And uh, that's when that transitional point was like, how far will we try to push the aesthetic ethic of ground up, because you can't hang and place a bolt, you know, on a vertical knobby wall, really, or you got to hang on a hook or you got to, then it was like stand on a bolt and drill a bolt. So, you know, we, we came in and went from the top and got a top rope on it and worked out that, you know, all the holds and, and, you know, probably she, I think anybody, it'd be, that would be a fun question to ask the people like, what was your experience to climb peace? You know, cause it's so awesome. Mm. I mean, it's such a, it's such an awesome line in the way it takes you on this little journey and, and you're going to be on it for a while because it's about 150 foot pitch i think and uh you know it starts out pretty straight ahead thin edging and then goes into a, a definite crux and then it kind of gives you a little bit of a breather and then it starts up a consistent sort of you know pay attention don't want to fall off 511 plus climbing then all of a sudden it kicks out a little bit more and it gets thin you know, into 512 or whatever it is, and then you got to make some bigger moves. And then it just keeps your attention, you know, all the way, um, you know, so. But what that, that didn't seem to be too complicated of a question. Like, they're just asking me about, she was talking about this, getting to the, the anchor or something. She hadn't, she hadn't practiced that. Yeah. So Yasna, when she climbed it, she told the story on the podcast. She had spent a lot of time rehearsing the crux, but hadn't, um, I think because of the length of the rope and how inconvenient it was to top rope the entire thing, she was yeah. she was top roping it from like the last bolt or the second to last bolt, right. and right. then she surprised herself and got through the the crux and was like on siding the last bolt to the anchor and saw that patch of glacial polish <laughs> at the anchor and was Panicked. like, "Oh God!" <laughs> she did it. She yeah. pulled it off, but yeah, yeah. And then she watched your yeah, film well, and she's you know, like, "Well, what the hell?" He just grabbed the anchor, but it sounds like you had already done it. Oh no, I didn't just grab the anchor. I mean, you know, it may be for the film. It was just like to look over at the camera or something. Right, I don't right. Know. Yeah. But it's not. It's not like how I climb the route. Yeah. I mean, you climb it and you just clip the anchor. But that that I don't know that that would even matter. I mean, it, 
hard to say, but people don't practice on that kind of climbing anymore that much. You know, the slabby edging. I mean, how many people do that? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Maybe they're doing it. I don't know. But yeah, there's no issue about that. I, I wasn't trying to shortchange a move or something. <laughs> um, but yeah, that was one of the, I mean, what a great experience to walk up there again and, and climb that route. And I remember coming down from it one time and my finger was a little sore, you know, and I was walking on the trail and I just stood there for a second and I was rubbing my finger. And then I was touching this little rock that was in front of me in the knob. And then I was just thinking, wow, the this bone that I'm rubbing in my finger is like the DNA of a rock, right? Like I felt this really at one of those moments again the collective moments over your life that you have a little epiphany of thought that's like you our skeleton is like rock mm. right true the dna that's in us as that is like the rock or the tree so that was this really cool moment that you're totally immersed stoked on that route maybe you, you haven't done it yet but you know you're about to do it so you have this whole thing building up about it and then you're walking down the you know trail, just rubbing your finger, looking out over all the landscape, and you make this connection literally by rubbing your finger and realizing that's the bone of your skeleton that is like the rock, you know? And, and these are the collective experiences over 50 years that you bring to the surface of the essence of what all this can do for us. You know, the number is important, the challenge is important but I can never not emphasize the, the learning part of the hu human connection mm. because it's within that human connection that we find a deep respect and awareness for everything that gives us life. You know, and, and the, the challenge that's happened to us is we've disconnected from that. We mock it. We, we don't, we're, we're kind of nervous about facing that reality. We don't want to get older, you know, and we're clinging really hard to something like I was saying before, that our grip will loosen on. But see, my grip is loosened like I'm holding a bag full of nuggets back to your little podcast here <laughs> to have to share, hopefully, yeah. and, and make this life that much richer. And that's why at this point in life, like I said, I'm just soaking it up like my friend was saying with the, the appreciation. And I don't even feel like, oh, man, I wish I just had done some climb wherever it was or whatever, you know. Uh, I don't feel that. I feel completely fulfilled, and uh, and uh, you you want that for everyone. Mm. So that that promotes peace as a climb and a thought. Yeah, is that why you so so Backer wanted to name it Die Hard? Why did you name the root peace? Yeah, and for the obvious reasons, like we you know in the seventies, like Bridwell said, the first rule is there are no rules. Not being completely committed to that but as a concept like it's a creative endeavor so when you get these wars going on with bolting and rap bolting and all this kind of craziness that's not dealing with common sense anymore we waited six years we gave them the respect for like six years mm. and uh, that route was not getting done so we just went up and, and did it and set it up in a good way that these people you're mentioning could go climb it and clip you know have the bolt in the right place and all that and, and set it up for a person to come up and you know maybe on site it even and and so forth so it was a gesture of the connection we can all have and work together and share this beautiful place and and promote more of a peaceful approach 
you know, because you know, there was like people beating over bolts and breaking bolts, you know, all this kind of nonsense, right? So peace was just a positive name to put out there. But I wasn't trying to go overboard about it. I just, it just came to mind and I thought it sounded good. That's great. Yeah. It's, it's simple and, and it's And it does clear. sound good, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Doesn't that sound great? Oh yeah, I did peace the other day. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and just, if you look at the wall and it's orange and it's beautiful and uh, that's why names are important. Mm. I appreciate names. Yeah. It's hard to get strung up about your project if it's called peace. <laughs> that's, yeah. That's nice. Yeah. <laughs> okay, well, that does lead into the next question really well. This is a question from Scott, and a couple people asked this, and you and I have joked about it, but... I didn't do it. I did not do that. <laughs> you, you, you got it. So, yeah, he writes, and I made the mistake of assuming that he was asking about you. I don't think he was, um, so that was my error, but Scott writes, it may be a tired subject, but it's the stuff of legend. Ask him about the punch that made sport climbing official. <laughs> oh, man, that's made sport climbing official. That's crazy. Yeah, well, you know, we had been to Europe, and then you came back here, and and, and I don't know, there was a, a climb down at Arch Rock, and it pro- probably wasn't the best climb to make an example of what was possible here. I think Crossroads became that, but Crossroads hadn't shown up yet. So we did this climb. And then uh, I, I don't forget exactly who might have went and, you know, uh, beat over the bolts or took the bolts out. And then I remember Chapman and I, we were the ones that put that climb up, you know, checking it, just sort of dabbling into that zone of what can be done here now and, and that technique. And then because they beat over the bolts or whatever happened, then I remember going through the parking lot. And it was Backer and somebody else. And I said, man, why are you going to do that? You know, and uh then there was this little chit chat and he goes, he said something. I can't remember. You know, this is what's hard about bringing up these old stories is everybody has their version, I guess. Mm. But what I remember is there was this little challenging point, like, you know, well, you need to keep doing that, man. What the heck? And, and, and however, whatever I said that his said back to me, something about go ahead and hit me. And I don't remember if I went, I went and my physical man, why do you got to do that? And then he goes, yeah, go ahead and hit me. And I'm, I'm not going to hit you. You're too much of a pussy. And then I walked off and and, uh, and just left. I just left. And then Chapman came along, and then he had this kind of same conversation. But what Chapman was telling me is he's, he's back where he used to practice martial art a lot with these head gloves and stuff. We all we used to have fun like that. All the punches that we did. Hey, friends. That's it for the teaser. If you are dying to hear the rest of the story about the punch in Camp 4, as well as many other incredible stories from Ron, including the plane crash in 1977 when a plane smuggling hundreds of pounds of weed crashed in a lake above Yosemite Valley. If you want to hear about all of that, you can go listen to the rest of our conversation right now. All you have to do is sign up for Patreon. There's a link to Patreon right there in your podcast app. It's $5 per month to get access to follow-ups, and it is an awesome way to support the show. Every dollar truly makes a difference. So I would love your support. It really helps. And that's it, friends. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time. Move with the good. Shake it up, stop when the clock hits 13. Keep it working, watch your blood.